Hello and welcome to another episode of the uh, Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. And today we've got an interesting conversation. Um, I've uh, talked to this gentleman before. I had him on uh, yeah, the show with David Meltzer uh, not too long ago when we were doing the Office Hours uh, live show. And I was absolutely intrigued with what he was bringing to the table. Uh, he's got a book that's called Elevated Economics. And I, you know, I love the title to begin with, Elevated Economics, The Dismal Science. How do you elevate that? We're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, my guest is um, Richard Steele. He's the CEO of an organization called Parsec Ventures. And I want to just welcome you. And we're going to talk a little bit about Parsec Ventures, uh, a whole lot about elevated economics, and we'll just kind of see where we go. So Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it, Blaine. Great to be with you again. Good, good. Well, let's just kind of start with you know, you know, your vocational area, which would be uh, you know, Parsec you know, Ventures. What, what's going on with that? Because I, I do want to touch on that and I want to give you an opportunity to talk about it because it's kind of unique in what you're doing there. So Yeah, um, sure. I appreciate it. Happy to tell a little bit about it. Um, so uh, Parsec Ventures, we really invest in, in early stage, uh, mostly subscription-based technology businesses. Um, we're focused on, you know, uh, back in the uh, back in the jockey, not the horse. So really focus on uh, on the leader uh, of those businesses. Really exceptional leaders is what we're looking what we're looking for and who we're looking to back. Um, most of our stuff is subscription based uh, tech, although we do have some uh, what I like to call opportunistic uh, investments as well. So we do have um, on the subscription based side, you know, boxed apparel companies and sales software and, and measurement technologies. Um, we've got some government technologies. Uh, uh, there, we do do some fund to fund stuff as well. Um, and then uh, uh, sort of there's a, a real time engagement uh, social media platform that we're uh, just made an investment in, uh, as well as a whole host of other things, some cryptocurrency, not a ton, um, but a little bit of exposure there. We just think that's prudent. And um, uh, we have uh, entertainment, hospitality, and uh, leadership training as well. Those are more on the sort of the opportunistic side um, and do advisory work across um, ESG and a whole bunch of other areas, FinTech and wealth management and, and impact measurement and things like that um, that we talked about, I think, on our last show. But happy to go in any of those or talk more about the book or however you want this to go. Okay. Well, yeah, just you know, one quick question here. Parsec, that's a very interesting name. Uh, it has a lot of implications for speed and uh and, and also, I think, for different dimensionality, and I'm, I'm just kind of waxing poetic here. Now, what led you to choose the name Parsec Ventures? Sure. So, um, yeah, it is a blatantly a Star Wars reference. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's based up from, a, from a, a line in the original movie, but um, it is uh, a unit of distance, uh, not necessarily of time. Uh, and it's, uh, it's just a very interesting uh, astrological concept. Mm -hmm. And... Um, uh, I thought that in the context of what we were doing, it, uh, it just, it just fit. Plus it has a nice ring to it. Yeah. Good. Well, you know, you know, time and time and distance, you know, kind of get conflated because, you know, 60 miles per hour, it's, you know, I mean, everything gets kind of chunked together there and time to market is important. I mean, all of that sort of stuff. And you mentioned that you, you know, you bet on the, on the jockey, not the horse. And I, that, you know, Remember you saying that earlier in, in an earlier interview that you know, we, we did. Um, I do a lot of work in leadership, as you, you know, probably know a little bit about. Um, and the jockey becomes really important. Uh, 
So I'm going to segue, you know, where I'm going with this question into a soul of business uh, question as well here. But what do you look for in a leader, you know, such that you're willing to, you know, put your money where your mouth is, you know, so to speak? Yeah. So um, great question. I would say that, well, well, two things. Number one, uh, there's a guy named Brad Feld who co-founded Techstars and a very, very, very nice guy. Um, uh, he's been very supportive of my book as I have, have been of his. And he said something once that really stuck with me, which was you have to love the entrepreneurs that you back. And he sort of took a pause. He says, not like, not tolerate. You have to love them. <laughs> like you, you have to love them. You're going to be in the trenches with them. There's going to be good times. There's going to be bad times. You really have to love uh, the, the entrepreneurs that you back. And so I thought that was an interesting sort of opening salvo on sort of the list of criteria that you go through when you look for yeah. exceptional leaders. Um, I'll answer sort of the second part of that question also with an anecdote. Uh, one of our opportunistic inve investments is a, a leadership company, leadership development, leadership training company. And um, the leader of that company is a guy named Jason Caldwell. <clears throat> the company's called Latitude 35 or Lat 35. And Jason set the world record for rowing across the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, just a tremendous- I knew I knew that name. Yeah. Yeah, I know he's referenced in the book a couple of times. Um, and uh, he spent probably half an hour. We did a, a, a walk and talk. We did sort of a trail meeting because of COVID. We can't see each other, but we did. We went outside and walked the trail. Um, I walked a trail together um, and he spent probably 30 to 40 minutes taking me through this issue that he was having. And I was kind of wondering, where is he going to, where's he going to get to? He's a bit esoteric. Like, wh what's the point? What does he want to know? What does he want to glean from me? And the whole 30 to 40 minutes was just him making sure that he was treating one of his partners correctly. He spent half an hour making sure that his partner was getting a fair shake on the way that the economics of one of these deals worked out. And, and you know, if you can end up backing somebody like that, you know, oh, yeah. the world is your oyster. Yeah, oh, that's great. You know, so which actually kind of leads me to the question I ask all of my guests. Yeah. When you hear the term, the soul of business, what does that evoke for you? Sure. And I, I thought about this. I've heard some of your other uh, interviews and I, I thought about this and, and I kept on coming back to culture as a component of the soul of a, of a business. And it's interesting in uh, one of my favorite HBS um, professors, uh, a guy named, a former professor, a guy named Rob Kaplan. He's currently um, chair of the Dallas Fed at the moment. And um, we would go through some of these leadership exercises and he would talk about the culture of an organization, not as something that is defined on paper, but the set of norms that rises to the surface over time. Basically, how do we behave? How do we treat each other? What sort of things do we do? So in a practical sense, are we an email company or do, are we on Slack or are we text? You know, do we, are we a nights and weekends type of company or do we separate and segment, you know, family life and personal life versus work life? Um, you know, uh, what are sort of the standards for how we talk to one another and what's tolerated within the business? So all these little nuanced ways of behaving 
that influence the company culture. And of, of course, it's, 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 it's influenced massively from, from the top and from the CEO. And there are you know, things that you can say that you do versus things that you actually do. And to me, and to a, a lot of my, my classmates who, who were going through the same exercise with this professor, um, it is the culmination of those things that defines how we treat one another and what the internal culture of or, or our organization uh, is. So I thought that might be an interesting way to at least start the conversation um, around culture um, and the soul of the business. But I think that the way that you begin to interact with everybody, what's tolerated, what's accepted um, versus what isn't over time can lay bare the soul of the company. Yeah. Yeah, that I, a number of folks that I've had on have spoken to culture as being, you know, yeah, either the gateway to or the exhibition of the soul of the business. Yeah. And uh, and I'm, I'll just check. I mean, yeah, you come from, you know, and you, you mentioned HBS, Harvard Business School. Uh, you, you've been on the alum, you know, what was it, the alumni board? Uh, so, I mean, you're pretty active uh, with, you know, the school. And Harvard is renowned for, you know, Putting out you know, you know, exemplary uh, business leaders, um, and the world is changing. Uh, and so, part of my curiosity, and this is partly uh, in, in concert with both elevated economics, but also my notion around compassionate uh, or conscious capitalism. And there's a little distinction that I make between those two. Um, what are you noticing that? marks out the distinction between where we're headed as opposed to what was traditionally taught in B school. Yeah, you know, when sure. you were there. That's a so Blaine, that's a really, really interesting question. Um, okay. So the dean of uh, Harvard Business School uh, in 1908, Dean Edwin Gay, he mm -hmm. said that the 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 purpose um, of business is to make a decent profit decently. And I think over the last 110 years, years or so, we've, we've diverged from that quite a lot. And it, I think part of it is the tragedy of the common, right? Um, and yeah. and for, for those who are unfamiliar, if there is a common resource, um, everybody will uh, use it to benefit their own self-interest at the expense of the shared or collective resource. Mm -hmm. And um, that has been true in business, I think, at least in, in, in businesses that don't really consider their stakeholders for quite a, quite a long time. Yeah. And what I mean by that is companies can make an extra buck um, if they, well, let's say, oh, if, if a company can make an extra buck by foisting some sort of negative externality on the population in the form of let's say uh, a, a pollution, for example, they'll do it because they can make more money or at least they can do it if they choose um, because they can make more money. So I, th I think we've, we've lost sight of the purpose of business as really codified by that statement from the Dean, you know, hundred years ago uh, versus what we have today. And well, I'll, I'll pause there. I have a lot more to say on this, but I'll, I'll pause there if you, if you, if you wanna ask a follow-up. Yes. 
Well, because this is going to take us into you know the book, you know, elevated economics. But I'm hearing, yeah, I, I hadn't heard that quote, you know, from the dean. Um, make a decent profit decently. I remember, yeah, you know, Ayn Rand in you know, '54, I think it was 1954. You know, she 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 wrote a couple of books, Fountainhead, Atlas Shrugged, and she at one point said that uh, the purpose, uh, you know, not the purpose of business, um, um, but capitalism is the the best economic system for fostering rational self-interest. And that was the whole John Galt you know, <laughs> narrative that kind of went into play there, which was in stark contrast to Adam Smith's original pos you know, positioning around enlightened self-interest. And you mentioned the tragedy of the commons. Uh, you know, rational self-interest is what generates the tragedy, you know, tragedy of, the, of the commons. My read on elevated economics, my take on it, is that it's a way of addressing, it's, 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 it's a... Uh, it's a paradigm for addressing and moving back towards a little bit more of an equilibrium, uh, yeah, more towards the enlightened self-interest. Yeah, so I, I'd like to have you talk a little bit about just kind of how you see that and, and, and am I on the mark with that? I'm making an assumption here just based on my, my reading. Sure. Of it. sure, so I, in my research, I spent two years writing this book and, and most of that was research and, and talking to you know, business school professors, whether they were HBS or MIT or other places, and real world CEOs that are running you know, big consequential companies today. And I've run public companies, I've run private companies, um, I've been on the board of nonprofits, I've advised the, the government. Um, and you get sort of a front row seat of how people behave and how they how they think and how, how they think that, that, that companies should act and behave. And I think that now, as a result of a, a, a variety of factors, climate change, diversity and inclusion issues, racial injustice, regulation, new accounting standards, the investing in consumption habits of, of the next generation, all that against the backdrop of, of the accessibility of all information, that you've got a generation or generations of people who are beginning to redefine what's in their self-interest. Somebody's self-interest may include just themselves uh, and just the amount of, let's say, money they can make. Now, with you know, against the backdrop of all those issues I just mentioned, everybody I think is is at least beginning to understand that their de their definition of self-interest has to expand to include other people, to include justice, to include a clean environment. Um, and the shareholder centric model, right? Milton Friedman's theory of shareholder primacy, which was basically, you know, make money at any cost, um, is being replaced with a stakeholder centric um, uh, theory or thesis. And that's happening simultaneously, both at the, on the corporate side, as well as on uh, the individual consumer side and the individual investor side, as well as government, right? So these things are beginning to have an impact and have a real sea change in the way that, that, that we consume things, where we invest our dollars uh, as, 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 as investors and, and consumers, and then businesses, how they behave, um, what, they, what actions they will take. Now, it's what they say they'll take. We can talk about greenwashing and impact washing in a sec, but what they actually will do going forward and how they behave. And we will, as a class of consumers and investors, reward them with our dollars because our 
definition of self-interest has now expanded to include others mm-hmm. and the environment, et cetera. So I'll, I'll stop there. That was again, a long answer to a short question, no. um, but, I, but I hope, it, I hope it, it helps a little bit. Oh, it does. It, it's, yeah. When, when, when competing paradigms collide, uh, and this is one of the things that we're seeing, I think, today, the paradigm that has the capacity to absorb the other actually will become the dominant paradigm. And I think just the way that you're you know, beginning to uh, define uh, rational self-interest in an expansive way, it doesn't subjugate, you know, you know, I, I, you know what's in it for me, but it does, it, it poses an invitation. What's uh, in it for us, right? Yeah, what's in it for us. Yeah, that, that me to we migration, yeah. uh, which becomes very interesting. When we come back, we're going to take a real brief break. When we come back, I want to yeah, talk a little bit about some of the research that you've got in your book and just kind of how that actually uh, supports some of the stuff that you're talking about. So we'll take, we'll, folks, we'll be right back. I want to thank you for listening. Um, I want to also invite you right now to go to blainebartlett.com. And on that site, which is my personal website, you'll see uh, services up on the top menu. I'd like you to click on Leadership Mastermind. Now, why I want you to do that is we have uh, structured a mastermind program that is very unusual and it is very powerful. And by going onto that site and clicking that link, you'll be taken to a landing page that is an invitation to join this mastermind. It's a 52-week-long exploration of what it takes to be a highly effective leader in today's fast-changing environment. You won't regret it. And if you've been liking what you've been listening to on these Soul of Business podcasts, how does one become a leader that can keep connection to the soul of business? That's what we look at. That's what we're about in this mastermind program. So again, go to blainebartlett.com and click on the services link. And there you'll find the link to the leadership mastermind program. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this little commercial. And now back to our show. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Richard Steele. We've got a book on the table here, uh, Elevated Economics. And uh, a lot of research, a couple of years of research went into the writing of this book, uh, Richard. Um, What are some of the major findings? And you were alluding to them just a little bit before we took the break. But what are some of the major findings that, uh, that you can cite for this move towards in a more expansive sense of uh, rational self-interest? Sure. Um, I'll, 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 I'll go through a few of them. Number one was August 19th of 2019. Business Roundtable issued a new statement of the purpose of a corporation saying that the purpose of a corporation isn't just to make money. It's delivering value to customers, investing in our employees, dealing fairly and ethically with suppliers, supporting the communities in which we work. And then last of the, of the five elements that make up this statement on the purpose of a corporation, very last is generating long-term value for shareholders. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge, huge sea change. We talked about uh, Milton Friedman and his theory of shareholder primacy. We talked about that before the break. And his series of essays just had its 50th anniversary and yeah. got absolutely skewered by a whole host of modern day CEOs. Um, and so the Business Roundtable, which is a, a, a policy and advocacy group of 
the CEO made up of the CEOs of America's largest companies has made that change. So that, that was, that was one. I'm happy to pause there, but then I can go through and, and talk about some more if you'd like. No, I mean, just keep going. Cause those, I knew that those two would come up and I'm very pleased to hear that they did. Sure. <laughs> so the go ahead. The sea yeah. change in, in investing that we're having towards ESG, which is uh, environmental, social, and governance, uh, ESG investing is huge. Um, so again, ESG investing is this growing category of investment choices that blend you know, traditional investment evaluations with environmental, social, and governance factors into them. And so you've got folks like you know, BlackRock, Larry Fink saying, look, investors are shifting to ESG focused firms in droves and companies are embracing stakeholder capitalism and the ones that are outperforming their peers. Yeah. And there's a huge growing number of investors who are focusing on climate change. There are now over 2,700 ESG funds in the market. You look at what's happening on the corporate level as far as companies that are saying that they're going to get to zero emissions um, and get to net zero. You look at that, there were 500 companies that made those pledges in 2019. There were 1,500 in 2020. And that trend is, is, is continuing here in 2020. You look at the banking sector. They are all pledging now to get to net zero financed emissions. HSBC, JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Barclays, Morgan Stanley, NatWest, they're all saying we're going to uh, get to net zero financed emissions. So what does that mean? That means they will not finance projects like, you know, drilling for oil in the Arctic. Okay, that's fantastic. Guess what? That means that the cost of capital, the, the, the interest rate that companies who do do those projects have to pay will go up because they're going to have to go somewhere else to get that financing, right? Supply and demand. There, there will be less supply of money to those folks who are uh, 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 you know, extraction companies, mining, drilling, things like that. And so their cost of capital will go up to the point where at some point those projects will, will become not viable, right? From a, from a financial perspective, you've got CEOs responding to Citigroup's uh, um, uh, internal report, or sorry, not internal report, report that found that racism has cost the United States $16 trillion. You've got CEOs pledging a million jobs for Black Americans. Um, you've got CEOs now taking a stand against the social issues that we see, Black Lives Matter, all this terrible, terrible stuff with um, uh, the, the attacks on Asian Americans that we've seen recently. Um, and, and there is a sea change, there is a shift now that hasn't happened before. So we've mentioned the financial sector. We've we've mentioned the the the, the, the private um, sector as well. We're, we've now, if we look at what the government will do, you've got 823 cities and 101 regions having net zero targets for their own cities and regions. That represents uh, about 6.5 gigatons of greenhouse gas emissions, which is just huge. Um, so you've got the government doing it, you've got the private sector doing it, and then we can talk about um, consumers and, and, and the shifts in, in, in consumer and investing behavior. Uh, but I'll, again, I'll pause there. Just I want to ramble on too much. I'll pause there and we can get into consumers if you like. No, and we will here. Uh, I mean, I, I love this. I love this data because it, for me, you know, and I, two things here. You're familiar with Just Capital. Yes. Yeah. So we'll talk about that in a bit because you know I'm on the board of the World Business Academy, which was the catalyst for you know, the the Just Capital uh, initiative, and 
the other piece to that has to do with my position that business being the most pervasive force on the planet, it has a moral responsibility to actually step up and attend to the, the welfare of all, you know, the welfare of all. I mean, you know, make a profit decently, you know, <laughs> make a decent profit decently sort of thing. But, you know, my choices and my actions make a difference. The decisions I make make a difference. And if I had uh, a way to, uh, Enforces. I would require every business leader to take us, you know, the, the the business version of the Hippocratic Oath: first, do no harm. And you know, through that that sort of a, a scenario, consumers begin to actually make a big difference in terms of where they actually go with their dollars, and or their yen, or their uh, yes. franc, or their euro, or whatever it might be. Um, the just capital, for those of you that are listening that aren't familiar with that, do you want to elucidate on that just a little bit? Uh, well, I, I, yeah, I think, I think you're, you're, you're much more uh, 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 um, uh, close to them and, and, and maybe could explain that better. But I, I, and I, but I wanted to come back to your point about consumption. Like, but, but go ahead. With yeah. just, capital. Well, just, just capital, just very simply, has to do with you know, one of the notions that what gets measured gets paid attention to. And traditional GATT standards, accounting standards, you know, paid attention to traditional metrics, uh, shareholder return, uh, ROI, you know, just very simply those sorts of things. Just Capital said, wait, there's, there's more to pay attention to here. And if we can actually get business leaders, particularly large enterprise business leaders, paying attention to different metrics that have teeth in them, that have, and I say teeth, not from an enforcement perspective, but they're, they're statistically valid in terms of the impact on the efficacy of the business. Uh, things like you know, a decent living wage, what does that translate to in um, the health and well-being of the neighborhoods in which your workers are coming from? Um, and so they, they started looking and we spent about two and a half years actually vetting these metrics, vetting you know, the correlation between different metrics. And two years ago, uh, I think it was two years ago, you know, the first Just Capital 100 was uh, published. And part of the intent was to have it kind of go head to head with the Fortune 100, uh, more of a traditional metric. Uh, but the Just 100, yeah, some of the same firms uh, actually ended up on the list. Uh, but it's beginning to get a little bit of traction. Actually, it's getting to, beginning to get quite a bit of traction. And there's a whole backstory of where the idea originated uh, that I won't go into right now. But consumers start paying attention to that and the Edelman data uh, well, that surveys, uh, uh, particularly millennials, you know, where are they going? How are they working? What are they paying attention to? That's a consumer-based metric that is, kind of, I think, dancing fairly closely to what the Just 100 is actually measuring. So with that kind of a long riff, you know, where do you see the consumer role in, in all of this? So, so, and, and, and to go back to the, to the, the just capital rankings, which I think they're, they're most well known for, there's always these rankings in, in, in various uh, in news outlets, whatever the, 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 the New York Times has them, the journal has their, their, their listing of uh, top sustainable companies, just capital has them as well. Um, you know, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Apple, Intel, Alphabet, JP Morgan, right? These are some of the ones on the, on the just capital list that you might see on some of the other lists as well, as far as most sustainable, most sustainably managed, there's some different nuances there. I think just capital does a really, really good job of 
making that information searchable. We used to call it like machine readable, right? You want you want yeah. that information to be machine readable to be to be useful to people. So I think that plus some data visualization makes Just Capital a, a, a really interesting resource for for a lot of folks. Um, but oh, I want to go back to your your point about consumers. I brought some props today, um, believe it or not, <laughs> great ones, but. Um, I was talking to my daughter, who's 11 years old, and I'll, I'll reference her again on this call. And I, I said to her, um, look, you know, we can, we can go uh, on the computer and we can buy, you know, bottles of water like this. And you buy a couple of pallets of, of bottles of water, maybe two or three pallets of bottles of water. It might cost you 20 bucks. Or you can get a, you know, reusable um, container and use that for about the same price. And then, you, you know, you think about the impact, right? And single use plastics and all that sort of stuff. To my daughter, that's a no brainer, right? And she's very, very young, like I said, 11. Um, but those types of decisions are happening every second of every day across the world. And there are more and more of us that are making investment decisions and purchase decisions based on that sort of rubric. Um, and you mentioned some of the companies as well and what gets measured, uh, uh, gets what gets managed, gets measured, gets done, right? Chipotle and Apple have recently, I think over the last couple of months, uh, announced that they are gonna link executive compensation to either diversity or uh, environmental goals or both. So I mean, linking pay, you know, you talk about incentives, right? If you link somebody's pay, mm -hmm. how diverse their team is, well, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to have a great diverse team. So, you know, putting your money where your mouth is, is I think a bit, a bit of a sea change. Let's talk about investors, right? Right now, you've got about uh, $17 trillion that are uh, invested in sustainable assets. That's according to the US SIF. And over the next five years, by 2025, the assets in the United States, professionally managed assets in the United States, uh, half of them, fully half, 50% by 2025, will be managed uh, uh, with an ESG mandate, right, in five years. That's incredible. So you're looking at about 69 trillion total, about 34 and a half trillion of that will be managed uh, with an ESG mandate by 2025, according to the USA. You got a lot of people that are saying, oh, you know, I'm looking at investing and I don't want to trade uh, financial return for a lot of this tree hugger nonsense, right? However, you've got all these great studies. Morgan Stanley said, of course, you, you know, you can invest sustainably without sacrificing financial return. They did a study on the performance of about 11,000 mutual funds. And they showed that there's no financial trade-offs. And guess what? The, the returns of the sustainable funds compared to the traditional funds demonstrated lower downside risk as well. Mm -hmm. So not only did they outperform, but they had lower downside risk. Barron's yeah. found the same thing. Morningstar found the same thing. You know, the, the research is out there. So the interesting thing to me, the most interesting thing, I promise I'll shut up in just a second. <laughs> I know I have a tendency to ramble on. Keep going. The most interesting thing to me is what I call the, 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 the great wealth migration. Others call the great wealth transfer. There's $68 trillion, trillion with a T, of wealth that is going to transfer from uh, uh, the baby boomer generation to the next generations over the next 20 to 25 years. $68 trillion. 80% of the heirs, of the folks who are going to inherit that money, state that they'll look for a new financial advisor after inheriting their parents' wealth. 80% of them are gonna find new ways to invest that money. 
It's incredible. And if you look at it, these are the generations that are willing to pay more for sustainable products. They're the ones that check the packaging labels to ensure that there's a positive social and environmental uh, message there. And these are the ones the, to, to the tune of 83% of whom say, I agree with this statement. It is extremely or very important for me that companies implement programs to improve the environment. And that's just in, in the environmental consideration. Uh, as far as public company goes, before 2013, only about 20% of the S&P 500 disclosed their ESG information. Today, it's 85%. So 20% to 80%, 85% um, in eight years. Just a, a massive, massive sea change. Yeah, that is. I, I knew you were going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> And I, and I, yeah, yeah. Folks are tired of listening to me. They want to hear somebody that knows what they're talking about. Uh, no, this is good stuff. I mean, it. And, and I kind of had a hunch about where this was going, having again just looked at the book. Um, there is a sea change, and I, and I, I'm very, I really am very positive about the outlook. I mean, you look at current reality and you go, oh my God, you know, the house is collapsing around our ears. No, it isn't really. Uh, there is so much good afoot. And it's a function of people becoming more and more conscious and expanding, as you were saying, this, this notion of what does rational self-interest actually entail? Well, if it doesn't include you, I'm going to be compromised. If it doesn't include, yeah, most people don't know the source of their drinking water. They think it comes out of a tap. Yeah, I'm very clear about where my water comes from. I care about that, that watershed. Um, so those sorts of things, and it's rational for me to care about that watershed. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Very rational. 100%. Look, I mean, out of the words of babes, right? I mentioned my 11-year-old daughter. She said to me yesterday, you know, that what she would like to tell the world is the world's a better place with you in it, but only if you act. Oh, oh. I mean, I wrote it down. I was like, this is great. But I just, I, you know, the, 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 the notion that that the definition of self-interest is one's self is as outdated today as the buggy whip was in 1960. I mean, it is, it, the sea change is here to borrow a phrase from, from Lincoln that was then borrowed by Martin Luther King, the arc of progress bends towards the just. Yes. And we're living in an age that is that is very tumultuous, very um, precipitous, but very very hopeful, because that next generation is going to inherit this planet and act so much better than any of us have uh, over the last several decades. I love that. I, I, you've got to give your daughter a hug from me. That I, I love that quote. I want to close with a question here, Richard. Yeah, how, how are you leaving the world a better place because you've been here? Well, so I, I, my stated life's goal is to affect positive change at scale. And I make that known to everybody. I want to affect positive change at scale. The companies that I invest in, the companies that I advise, um, those uh, are one way that I can do that, putting, putting resources to work uh, in those ways. That's, that's, that's one way. My book, Elevated Economics, was another attempt to have business leaders or those who aspire to have a leadership position in their business, in their company, um, 
to, 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 to have the book act as a framework or a roadmap, if you will, to where things are going. It's not an opinion piece. The book is not an opinion piece. It is facts and figures and firsthand accounts and really smart Ivy League professors that are giving their data and their insights. And all you do is simply extrapolate where it's going, right? Follow those trend lines. So it is a, it is a fact-based roadmap for leaders or people who aspire to be leaders in their businesses uh, as to where the puck is going. Skate to where the puck is going, not to where it is. And the, the, the puck is going to a completely different place, like we just mentioned, than it, than it has been in decades prior. And I think that this is a very, very hopeful time. I think that we can get there. And I know, I know that there are tons and tons and tons of motivated, principled, decent, good people out there running businesses. And like you, Blaine, I believe that business is a force for good and is the biggest force for good. Um, and so the book was a, an, another attempt to affect positive change at scale. And I'm assuming people can get it directly at Amazon uh, or yeah, yeah. Wherever, wherever books are sold. Wherever Amazon. books are sold. Elevated uh, economics, yes, sir. How can people find out more about Elevated Economics, but also Parsec Ventures, uh, if we've got some budding entrepreneurs out there? Yeah, sure. Folks find me on LinkedIn all the time. Uh, that's, that's, that's fine. So just Richard Steele. You can find me on LinkedIn. And um, uh, Twitter, uh, at Elevated Econ. Uh, you can find me there. Um, and then obviously, you know, websites and the book and all that other stuff, too. Okay, great. My guest today has been Richard Steele, um, CEO of uh, Parsec Ventures. Uh, the most erudite author of Elevated Economics uh, and has got a daughter that uh, is an absolute gem <laughs> I, I, from the mouth of babes, truly. You've been listening to The Solo Business with Blaine Bartlett. Um, find out more about what we're up to by going to blainebartlett.com and, uh, and just kind of poke around. You'll see something there that you'll probably like. And if you don't, that's fine. Thanks for visiting. And uh, Richard, thank you for visiting. I appreciate it greatly. It was great to be here. Thank you so much, Blaine. Really appreciate it. You bet. And until next time, folks, thank you for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.